So Money, Episode 753, Kristen Wong, author of Get Money. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Our guest today grew up with a scarcity mindset, thinking, you know what? It's bad to be rich. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Kristen Wong is our special guest today. And today, she's a New York Times published writer, financial journalist, helping readers achieve financial independence. Her book just debuted. It's called Get Money, Live the Life You Want, Not Just the Life You Can Afford. Kristen has also written about psychology, business, and travel for the New York Times, The Cut, and Glamour Magazine. Listen and find out what she thinks other financial books get wrong when it comes to millennials and money and how she herself managed to combat the negative mindset that she had around money in her early days. Here's Kristen Wong. Kristen Wong, welcome to So Money, my fellow money nerd, author, financial expert. Welcome to the show and all the way from sunny California. I am jealous. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I'm don't be too jealous because it's been um, unseasonably hot here. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) But thank you for having me on the show. This is super exciting. Yeah, totally. I've been watching your career climb. I I know that you recently published a book called Get Money, which I want to dive into. But uh, before we get into all the money questions that we have, uh, tell me a little bit about you know, what brought you to this beat? People always ask me, did you always want to be a financial reporter? And I'm like, yeah, I've dreamed of it since I was five. No, (laughs) life happens and you fall into certain, you take certain roads and I'm grateful for the choices that I've made. But what's been your journey to this space? And I know that money's not the only category of stuff that you're interested in. You write about travel and psychology, but you wrote a money book. So there's, there must be some real passion you have there for it. For sure. I started writing about money because, you know, as I've always been a writer and I kind of write through my problems and money was a big problem in my life. Uh, so I would write these essays for J.D. Roth of Get Rich Slowly. He had this blog called Get Rich Slowly. And it was I loved reading this blog because it was kind of people's first person stories of how they dealt with money and how they managed money. And it was it made personal finance. I didn't even you know know anything about personal finance when I started writing about it. But I I, it made it accessible when I would hear it, read it from somebody's first person perspective. And so they were hiring writers and I thought, you know, I have something to say about money. Let me, uh, let me have a go at this and see if I can write for the site. And I got the job and my essays seemed to really resonate with the readers. And, you know, before I knew it, I had been, you know, through writing about money, I was learning about negotiating, I was learning about investing, and I was learning all these more high level, you know, money management tasks. And um, I, I, I don't know, I just I started then I started writing for Lifehacker and NBC News and all these places started contacting me because they were like, we like the way that you kind of break down these complicated topics and make them very accessible and practical for people so people can see how they work in the real world. Because I think a lot of times with money advice, it's so dry and like impersonal that people aren't really sure how to approach it Mm -hmm. because they're like, 
Okay, Don't overthink I know how it. Helpful. Don't overthink right. it, right? Just write about your stories. Just write about your stories. What was it that at the time when you're writing for Get Rich Slowly, which by the way, I love J.D. Roth. He's been a guest on this show. One of our first guests, I think he was like in the first five episodes of So Money because I really wanted him to, he's sort of like the grandfather of financial blogging. Yeah. Even though he's not that old. He's not old at all. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, blogging is like, you know, it's like dog years. You do it for you know, it's, it's, um, if it's been, it's evolved so quickly in a short period of time. But, uh, when you were writing for him, what were the issues that you were trying to solve through your writing for yourself? A lot of them were psychological. They were behavioral, honestly. Um, I had a hard time wrapping my head around, I sort of had this reverse snobbery with money where I looked down on rich people because I grew up pretty broke. Like my family struggled financially a lot. They still struggle financially a lot, to be honest. Um, and so I sort of had to kind of get over that. I had a very like, I'm not sure if you've heard of the scarcity mindset in the personal finance world. They of always course. talk about like, yeah, you know, like when you're operating from this point of like, I have to be super frugal and I, I'm scared of losing my money and like everything that I was, every way that I was pro approaching money was fear-based. So as a freelancer, for example, I would never say no to any job because I was so afraid of saying no to money. Um, so I, I, it was a total scarcity thing. So of course, then I was working like completely overworked and doing stuff that I wasn't really enjoying that much <laughs> because I was afraid to like reject the money. Cause I was afraid then if I said no to this job, then I would never work again, you know? Um, so a lot of it was stuff like that. Can we dive deeper into the, you said something that really like, uh, just uh, was really highlighted for me. The sentence where you said, I, I associated being rich with it's like a snobbery. Like I didn't think you, it seems like you, you had a negative connotation with those who were rich or being rich. Yes. Where does that I come was, from? Well, I think a lot of it just is kind of ingrained in our culture, right? Like we think rich, like everybody, when people think of money, they typically think of cliches like money is the root of all evil, more money, more problems. <laughs> and that can be true, but you know, I, that makes it really easy to like, to not learn about it. And I found that to be true for myself. Like I didn't want to learn about investing. I didn't want to learn about negotiating. And the real reason is that I didn't want to learn about it is because it was, I thought it was too hard, but I kind of put, had it in my head that like money is bad. Money is for people who do bad things. And there was, I thought there was like nobility in being in poverty. I thought there was nobility in being broke. And like, that's how you learn these life lessons. And you can't possibly learn them if you have money. You know, I just kind of had this starving artist mind mindset of like, if you are making money, you're, you're selling out in some way. And that's a really great way to make sure you stay broke. <laughs> well, know? fast forward to today, you wrote a book called Get Money. <laughs> so talk yeah, about so the evolution, right? What was your, when did you realize that your mindset around that was completely off? I think, um, you know, it was sort of a gradual thing, but when I so leaned into negotiating, that's when everything changed for me. Cause I had actually, I'd, I'd read another book, uh, Barbara Stanley's six secrets of six, six figure women. Yes. And, and I just kind of read it on a whim cause I saw it at the library and I'm like, let me just see what this is about. And she talks about exactly all the mindset 
problems that I was having. And she calls them, uh, she calls them traits of under earners. And so little did I know, like I was an under earner. I thought, you know, I was just a writer and I was broke because writers are broke. So in the book, she kind of talks about how you have to change your mindset and like, you can't, you know, you can't, um, romanticize being broke and you kind of have to embrace the idea that you could and be open to the possibility that you could be earning more. And I thought it was BS when I first read it. I was like, no, like, I'm a writer. We do not make more. (laughs) Kristen, I knew we were kindred spirits because Barbara Stanley was also a woman who, and and her books, all of them, completely enhanced my financial outlook on life. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking like not 10 years ago, like just five years ago. I thought I had it all figured out. And I thought that I was, I thought I was, you know, living up to my capacity financially like this is this is a good life and I should be happy and let's just call it a day like let's just keep this momentum uh the same and when I talked to her she was like I talked to her on the phone I have also had her on the podcast I've interviewed her for many stories and she said it to me at one point why can't you become a mega millionaire Farnoosh you know I thought millionaires were people mm-hmm. that just I, I didn't relate to them. I was like, well, if, you become, if, you're, if your goal is to make millions, then, you know, what does that mean as far as the quality of your life? Am I going to see my kids? Am I going to see my husband? Am I going to, yeah. am I, am my priorities going to go out of whack? And I think that to your point, it's what I, what I was suffering from was an under earners mindset and that those, yeah, it's not going to be, a piece of cake making more money. You have to work at it and hopefully you find good work that's fulfilling to get there. And it may mean some trade-offs along the way, but it's not this impossible thing that's going to flip your life upside down. And she also said another thing to me, which was that as women, it is our responsibility to go out there and earn as much as we possibly can, not just in the name of feminism, And I do believe that more money is more power in your life. And that's a good thing. But because when women make more, um, the world becomes a better place. Women are more generous with their money. They give, they're more giving of themselves and of their money. There are studies that find that compared to men, women at all income levels, based on a percentage of their income, donate more than men. So Mm. we put money in the hands of givers that's a good thing. I think yes. I'd rather, you know, I mean, I'm not saying men don't donate and, and, and men don't deserve to make as much as they absolutely want. But I think that because women often are the ones that prescribe to this sort of scarcity mindset and this under earning mindset, and I was one of them, that it's yeah. important to remind women that you can help make the world a better place. If it's not even about you, because you don't want the money, earn it so you can give it away. It makes totally someone agree, else's yeah. life better. I think for me, that's been a huge, like I'm talking exponential mindset shift that even just before we got on the phone, I was strategizing a new income stream. And, and it's not because <laughs> I want to go out there and like, I don't, I don't have, I have, I have no idea what this money's going to do for me, but I just, I'm excited by the venture. I'm excited by the idea of this project. It so happens to be something that I can make money off of. And and then I'll figure it out. You know, there's a lot of people yeah. out there that I want to help. But anyway, back to you. That was an important thing you brought up. And I'm sorry that we took away from a no, little bit. I, think that's I went funny. on a Actually, tangent, but I. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Sorry. I just, I'm so interested in talking to you. All right. So 
this book, Get Money, is really targeted to the younger audience. And what is the number one advice that you that you hate that is out there that you feel is wrongfully prescribed for the, the millennial and the younger generation? Hmm, that's a really good question. I think the the advice that sort of makes me cringe is the, you know, and this is nothing new to cringe at, but the latte advice of like, just cut back, you know, a few bucks here and there and you'll be okay. Like just cut back on the avocado toast, (laughs) that that kind of (laughs) argument. Like that's the reason for, um, you know, all the financial troubles you're having when I think, you know, we should address the bigger issues here, which is it's harder to find work and like our, our job economy is sort of changing and it's, in a way it's sort of, it's easier to to be a freelancer and have this portfolio career but it's also you know that might not be the thing that you want to do i don't know so that's kind of the the idea that i the advice that i cringe at the most is like this penny pinching kind of advice which is crazy because i used to be a penny pincher 100% and that's what i would that's actually how i started writing about money as i was writing about just ways that i would save here and there and after a while, I realized like you can't just say like that's the small way that you're gonna. That's just it's not gonna be enough to like really get you to that next level financially. And a lot of the frugal stuff that I was doing was based in the scarcity mindset, also. You know. Yes, and I think that with your example of lattes and cutting back on the little expenses, yeah, over time it adds up. And if you run the calculators, oh my God, $8 is $800,000, you know, over 40 years. But we're humans and a lot of your work is based in pop science and behavioral psychology. Wouldn't you, isn't it true that like, if that's what we're teaching people, like save back on these little expenses, there's no instant gratification for that. You have to wait 40 years to be able to, you know, bear the fruits of not eating avocado toast uh, versus, you know, negotiating a salary that's going to earn you 15% more uh, year over year over year, or you know, shifting where you live that's going to save you four hundred, five hundred dollars a month. That's significant, yeah. and that result you'll feel and you'll experience immediately. So right. there is that. I think that that's also why it's important to focus on the big wins. Totally. I mean, that's really that's what is going to make the biggest difference to your bottom line. Not and you know, like you said, I think you know, there's something to be said. Like I still cut back here and there, but I just I don't focus on it, focus my energy on it too much, because I know, like I I want to focus on the high level stuff, the stuff that's really going to move the needle. And I think a lot of times also you know, we give younger people advice that's worked maybe for the past 50 years ago. Like, oh, if you're just a little frugal, you can buy your own house someday. And mm-hmm. just that advice is just outdated. And I don't know, a lot of the home ownership advice makes me cringe too. And even, you know, my, my parents' generation still believes like 100% you need to buy a home because you're throwing money away if you're not doing that. And it's like, not true, you know? Um, I don't know. It's, it, it just seems like a lot of the financial advice is not necessarily up to date, which is another thing that I wanted to address in my book is like this changing. How do we navigate? I mean, some personal finance advice is never going to change, right? Like you spend less than you earn. That's how you build wealth. Uh, but besides those like obvious pillars of personal finance, like what's, what is the advice for this economy and this job market? And like people now have to, you know, they don't have pensions anymore. They have to take 
for their own taxes if they're freelance. Um, you know, retirement plans are kind of becoming a thing of the past. So how do you navigate that stuff nowadays? You know, I think that's the advice younger people need to hear. So share some of these nuggets of wisdom with our audience. I'm curious about what your advice is around things like retirement and earning money and even budgeting to an extent. Every personal finance book has to talk about the B word. But yeah. what's your well, I- new advice? I'm kind of a fan of, I'm not sure if you've heard of Dr. Brad Klontz. You probably have. Of course. I co authored a study with him for When She Makes More. He's an amazing behavioral psychologist. Yeah. That's right. I remember reading about that. But yeah, he's so he talks about budgeting and the way that he talked about it like completely resonated with me, where he says that I actually interviewed him for an article about this and he told me that budgeting is sort of like dieting when you tell yourself, you can't have something, then you want it even more. And it feels like you're sacrificing. So you come up with this. He's a big fan of like spending plans instead. So a spending plan is sort I mean, it works the same way that a budget does. But the crucial difference is that with a spending plan, you have a goal so that when you sacrifice or when you do cut back on those lattes, you're doing it so that you can you're doing it so you can get something else for yourself, not just to like, oh, I need to be an adult and I need to come up with a budget and I shouldn't spend so much money because that's a really, like nobody, that feels sacrificial. That feels Mm -hmm. like you are depriving yourself. So, you know, that's sort of my entire approach to the book, not just budgeting, but like come up with a goal. Like, why do you, why are you listening to this podcast? Why are you reading this book? Why are you interested in money in the first place? Um, You know, that was a big thing for me. It's like when I was paying off my student loan, and my student loan was not near what student loans are these days, but it was still a huge amount for me. Like my goal at first, I was just kind of paying the minimum and I didn't really care. And I was trying my best to have a budget and be an adult. But when I came up with a very clear and concrete goal, which is that I wanted to travel, I had never really you know, been outside of the state before. Um, when I came up with a clear goal that I wanted to travel, I really was like, I have to get this. Like, I supercharged that debt and I paid it off in like just over a year. And, uh, and that like I was had no idea that that was possible, you know, and it just made me realize you really I have to have a goal for my money. Um, and I think Dr. Klontz's idea of a spending plan sort of works the same way. Like you want to save money. You want to cut back when you have a goal, you know? Yeah. You can't yeah. just, you know, say I want to yeah. save to save or earn to earn or, you know, get out of debt for just the in the name of not being in debt. But you know, that's if that's motivation enough for you, fantastic. Uh, yeah. But it's always helpful to have a prize at the end. And I think what you said earlier about having a spending plan, and that's what Dr. Brad Klontz suggests, and the correlation to your, you know, like a diet, like a physical diet, a health diet, uh, is so clear to me. You know, Weight Watchers, for example, kind of does this, right? They give you points. They don't take away mm-hmm. points. They say, here's 30 points. Go. You know, and here's, they give you guidelines like, okay, well, an apple has one point or whatever. And so you can, they give you the freedom to curate your own meal plans for the week within this 30 point or whatever point range. And I think that that's part of the success is that they're giving people autonomy to go out there and eat what they want within reason. Yeah. And so I think if if you think of a budget that way, like I have $800 to spend a week or a month. And 
to stop, like you said, and think about what is it that is important to me? What are my goals? What are my needs? What are my wants? And then, and then no one's telling you don't have the latte or don't do this. It's like, okay, this is the reality. You have this much money. Money is, has a limit. So go for it. Like go for the, the stuff that's going to make you happiest and secure. And yeah. hopefully that will keep you motivated. What is it a story from childhood, Kristen, that really has impacted your financial life as an adult? I know we talked about, you know, growing up in the the the, the, the stigmas around wealth and how that it kind of filtered into your mindset, but a specific experience, a vision, or perhaps uh, something your parents taught you. A study by Chase Slate, our sponsor for the show, found that over half of American families have talked to their fam to their kids about money, and that was a recent study. So, but I'm curious, like 20 years ago when you were growing up, what was the what was that story that your parents shared with you, or the lessons you learned from mom and dad? My parents were, you know, pretty good with money um, at saving it. They, uh, but I will say they very much have a scarcity mindset. And I will tell you one of my first experiences with money was my first memories of money. Uh, I was probably four years old and my mom, um, it was just me and my mom at the time. And we lived in this uh, one bedroom apartment in not a great part of town. And I was playing around in her closet, just like as she got dressed, like little girls do. And so I was like looking through her shoe boxes and I found a hundred dollar bill and I yelled, Oh my God, a hundred bucks. And my mom like clasped her hand over my mouth and said, you know, keep your voice down. Do you want somebody to come rob us? And that memory, I don't, it's so strange, like the memories that stick in your head and you don't really understand why or how they impacted you. But that really stuck in my head. And it always kind of made me think like money is something that people are going to take from you. And so I was always very like vigilant, like overly vigilant with my money, um, which sometimes can be a good thing. But like I said, like that, and I, my, I love my mom. This is not, I'm not trying to blame my mom here, but you know, it kind of yeah. just set me up for this like outlook that money is like, I have to be very, it's scarce. And if there's not enough for all of us and somebody's going to take it, if you have a little bit more, you know? Um, so it took a lot of years of kind of undoing that thinking and like, as cheesy as it sounds, like embracing this abundance mentality instead of this like mentality of uh, scarcity and, and that sort of thing. I would love to hear a story about your number one financial win of, of recent, Kristen, you know, given uh, all that you have learned about yourself and your own relationship with money, what's your so money moment? Uh, my, th- my so money moment would be learning to negotiate. Like I was saying, uh, after reading Barbara Stanley's book, like I thought being a writer, negotiating was just not a thing for, for, for me, you know, it's why I was like, I thought this was all BS. This is not going to apply to me, but I thought, let me just as an experiment, try to lean into this negotiating thing and see what I can do. And I just started asking, like I asked a client for more money and you know, I wasn't particularly, um, eloquent about it. I just said, how did you you do it? Was it over I said email I've been writing. Or? It was over email, and I said I've been writing for your site for a while. I really enjoy it. I think like my writing resonates with readers. Would you consider increasing the rate from this to this? And they said yes, of course. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I didn't know it was that easy. And so like I, I mo- and then it, I started asking like every client, every new client, every <laughs> existing client for more money, and it completely changed my income. And I thought, oh, she was right. <laughs> and so that yeah. like 
that really helped me switch from that, you know, into that, like there, there is, there is money out there and I can have some of it and it's going to be okay. So that was kind of a game changer for me. It was just learning to negotiate. And it's been a topic that's like going back to like what you said about women and negotiating that is so interesting because women do like negotiate in such a different way. And I'm sure you've heard of that research. It's like, it's easier for women to ask for more or negotiate or advocate for themselves when they think about how it's helping other people. And I think that's, you know, not a bad thing, right? Like we think in terms of community more. And so it's easier for us to negotiate when we think that our negotiation might help somebody else. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think we can kind of all move up together, you know? So when I negotiate, uh, I was actually talking to a girlfriend of mine about this because she's saying when she negotiates, she thinks of it as, you know, I am making it more normal for other women to negotiate. And that's, that's super helpful. I think like if you are afraid of negotiating and you're, you know, afraid of speaking up, just think that you are making it more normal for other women to do so. Because there's also, of course, you've probably heard the other study that's like women are viewed differently when they negotiate. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they're unlikable. And (laughs) here's my theory. Here's my, uh, belief about that. So you're right. I think it was Harvard that said, you know, sorry, ladies, it's like lose, lose. If you don't ask for a raise, you're not going to get it. And if you ask for a raise, they're going to think you're a bitch. Uh, So what do you do? And I said to myself, well, I think with regards to why there's this negative perception of women asking for raises, it's because we don't do it on mass enough. Because yes, when exactly. we when we do do it, it's it's we we catch our managers off guard. They're like, wait a minute, like you're asking for a raise, you know. And so I think, unfortunately, because we're not doing it in big as as a given, and then we don't do it as perhaps readily as men do, and in large numbers as men do, that it it works adversely. Um, it has, you know, bad perception. And, but I think if the more we, that's why we have to encourage women, just do it regard, like for, okay, you can't help how the other person's going to feel. Don't worry about the other person's feelings. Okay. When you're asking for a raise, like you do and you don't like, you you don't want to like insult them or make them uncomfortable. That's not a good, not, not being a good negotiator, but don't not do it because you're worried about putting them in an uncomfortable position. Um, yeah. Because the reality is, if they are a manager and if they aren't someone in charge of giving money out to people, they should expect this conversation coming up at some point. They're certainly having it with the guys. Right. And the more women do I mean, it, the more it'll become normal. Exactly. Like you, it's a perfect reason to speak up because you are making it more normal for other women. And also, like, I, if you just focus on the value you're bringing, then you're not like trying to get one over on them. You're just trying to get your fair share. And like, they're getting something out of it too, which is your work. It's just the other thing is like women and Barbara, you know, Barbara Stanley writes about this in her book, how women kind of tend to undervalue their work. So it's hard to negotiate when you feel like you're, you're not anything, you know, it's such, have you, have you talked to Barbara since your book came out? You're, she's such been such an inspiration. Uh, I've not had the chance to ever interview her, but I would love to. She's that book was like a total game changer for my like it really took me into six figure income territory. And so like it rang true. I thought it was just kind of a cheesy title when I picked it up because I was like I said, I was in that like rich people are bad mode. Evil. Evil one percenters. And uh, like not just because you're making money doesn't mean you're evil. You can like you said, you can do good things with it. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I worry about my kids, like, and what they're experiencing and on television and stuff. Like my son and I, we were watching the Muppets Mm -hmm. and the Muppets movie. And of course the, the evil man is the rich white guy who works at the top of the tower and he's the oil tycoon. And that's, you know, I feel like more and more of that kind of rich person he might be seeing as the evil person, right? The antagonist is always the one with yeah. the money and the power and it's a man. And I feel like that's, <laughs> you know, even, even like Cruella DeVille, right? Rich and yeah. evil and up to no good. And I, I sense that there is going to be some of, some conversations in our future after we watch movies like that about, you know, the, the reality of wealth and money and people who have money. So. Yeah. Interesting More work for, for me. Sure. Thanks, Hollywood. More work for me. <laughs> um, tell me now, Kristen, what is a habit that you practice, a financial habit that helps you with any aspect of your financial life, your budgeting, your, or we don't call it budgeting, your spending plan, your, um, your investment plan, anything like that? Just any financial habit at all? Yeah. I mean, some people have talked about, you know, uh, an app that they really like to use every day. Or um, I like to, you know, check my bank balance every day just because I want to yeah. check for fraud and inaccurate charges, but also like, how much money do I have? You know, it's a good, yeah. like stepping on the scale. What do I weigh so that I know if I have to cut back this week or, you know, just maintain? Yeah. You know, I am such a money nerd that I like to budget. And to the point where like I'm on my phone and people think I'm on Twitter, or Instagram, and my husband's like, you need to get off of Mint, <laughs> you know, because I'm just checking it. <laughs> I like the, I like, like the it. I like it. Yeah. I like it. But I will say, when you mentioned apps, it made me think, and I have no affiliation with this app. They, I, they should probably give me money for talking about them so much, but they don't. I just think they're cool. It's called Capital with a Q. And it's awesome because you can connect it to um, all of the apps on, like, all the apps you use on your phone, your computer through a service called I, If This Then That. Yes. And basically, you can, like, automatically reward yourself for, like, anything. If it's raining outside, you can pay yourself money automatically. If you go to the gym, it will like detect your location and automatically put money into your account. And so it's just kind of fun to make these like whatever rules you want to create for yourself, mm -hmm. but also practically it has good, it has good practical benefits too. Cause if you're like a freelancer, they have something called the freelancers rule, which you take, um, it just deducts like 25% of like everything that comes in your uh, bank account. But I don't even use it for that. I just use it for the fun stuff because just, if, you know, if you are a tech geek, it's kind of fun to connect it to all of your different apps and like create these fun rules for yourself. Yeah. Um, like if you don't spend money on something that's normally a splurge, you can reward yourself a little bit for that, uh, for yeah, having that kind of self-control. Totally. It has this rule where also like if you um, spend at a certain store, it will save money for you. So like, it's a, like, if you, if you want to avoid spending money at like urban outfitters or wherever you go, like every time you go to urban outfitters, you can make a rule to put like $10 in your savings account or something like that. I think, so I've, kind of I think I've aged out of urban outfitters. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why you said an example because it every just time happened I one day. Place, I think I last shopped there two years ago for socks. I needed socks <laughs> at the last minute. It was, I was in Los Angeles actually, and I, um, I was shooting for Follow the Leader on CNBC, and I has my outfit for the next day called for boots. And I was like, I don't have socks 
for some reason. Cause I think I wore Uggs to the airport or something. And so I'm like, I'm in Hollywood. It's nine o'clock. I need something. So I went into Urban Outfitters and I felt like a grandma. I was like, I'm a yeah. And the only thing that I could buy there, like rep, you know, uh, without feeling like I was being inappropriate, was a pair of socks. But, that was uh, the most coverage. The clothing item they had. Was yeah, the most yeah, coverage. yeah, totally. Oh my god. Um, no, I feel every time I go into an urban outfit, especially the ones in Los Angeles, I'm like, I'm so old. Yeah, but it's all good. Um, I'll just go to Chico's. It's fine. Chico's. Um, Eileen Fisher. Yes, I love Eileen. Fisher. By the way, by the way, I love Eileen Fisher. Lena Dunham wore an Eileen Fisher dress, I think, in the one of the last episodes of Girls. So if she Ooh. if she's shopping there, it's cool, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely, it's fine. Um, it's young people star. All right, so now I want to do some so many fill in the blanks. All right, so you just answer these, finish these sentences. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is? Uh, buy my uncle a house in New York City. Buy your uncle a house in New York City? Yeah, he's he is a New Yorker and he wants to move back so badly. He's from, you know, he was born and raised in Chinatown and uh, moved to Texas, but he's always talking about moving back to New York City. And I've always thought, you know, if I won the lottery, I had unlimited money. That's the first thing I would do is like buy Uncle Danny a nice little apartment. I mean, I don't know. It depends on how much the lottery was because <laughs> winning the lottery might not be enough to buy actually buy an apartment in Greenwich Village now, right? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I think you – well, depends on the size, right? Depends on the, the kind of place. Yeah. And it depends on the lottery. <laughs> yeah. I think if you win Powerball, you're good. Okay. You could probably buy a building. <laughs> yeah. Still. Uh, cool. All right. One thing I uh, splurge on that I'm just unapologetic about is? I actually splurged on a personal stylist recently, and it was expensive, and it was one of the best ways I've ever spent my money. Speaking of Eileen Fisher. Yeah. Tell me about uh, the experience. I first splurged on a stylist when I was in my late 20s. I was doing my book tour and going on television. And I, I also worked on television. So I was like, you know what? Let me let me reinvest some of this money into my wardrobe. It saved me time getting ready in the morning. I felt good. I felt confident. And so tell me, mm -hmm. what was that experience like for you? What was sort of the unexpected delight? That was exactly my experience too. I was going on a book tour and doing media stuff. And I'm like, I look uh, very frumpy and I look like I don't know what I'm doing. So I need help. And thankfully I knew someone and you know, the, it was just such, it was a crazy experience because like, I'm, I've never been known for being a good dresser. I'm known for a lot of things, but being a good dresser, not one of them. And I went to a media event after that. And somebody said to me like, Oh my gosh, I just love your style. And I was like, what? And they just, it felt like. What were you I wearing? Actually, what were you wearing? I, I was wearing like this long uh, sweater coat type of thing, but it was like a sweater vest, but it was the way that, and just, just slacks and like a nice shirt. But I, and it sounds so simple, but I just never would have put that outfit together myself. And like what made me realize the money was worth it is it sounds kind of silly, but like my confidence level change. So when I would go to these events, I used to always be so self-conscious about the way that I looked and I just didn't look professional enough. And then when I sort of, you know, had help with that and I would go, like I found myself just, I felt more confident. I was listening to people better because so I was having better conversations with people because I wasn't just like so self-absorbed thinking about, mm. you know, 
worried about myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was worth it to me. I like that. You became a good, a better listener. That's not something <laughs> that I um, would have said or would have thought, but it's a hundred percent true. Yeah. Because you're not yeah. like worried about uh, the zipper or the, is this hitting my waist in a way that's going to make me, that, that's unflattering or whatever. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Been you're not there. self-conscious. Mm-hmm. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better, and this could also be the the styling, but I'm looking for maybe something a little less expensive. <laughs> uh, good coffee. Yeah. Because I, I used to be a Folgers girl. And when I uh, met my now husband, he was just like, we, we, I remember we had just started dating and like we were having Folgers. sleepovers. Yeah. Nothing it comes was closer to home, right? Is that their logo? That's their saying? Best part of no, waking that's Stouffer's. up. No, that's <laughs> this, is, this is why I don't have cable anymore. I can't get my jingles straight. Just kick track of No, but I remember when my husband and I first started dating, he was like, things were going good. He, he was spending the night and then he sat down with me one morning. He's like, look, I really need to talk to you. This Folgers is not cutting it. And <laughs> I, I had no idea what he was talking about. Now I'm kind of spoiled because then we started getting like the nicer. Like I had always just gotten the free, freeze dried crappy coffee and it's fine. It does the job, but now I'm a little bit spoiled with the good coffee and it's, it's a little bit more expensive, but it's worth it to me because it, it, it does taste better. We love our local blue bottle here in Borum Hill. And mm. we, do you have a blue bottle in California? No. <clears throat> I didn't no. really, it's kind of a, I think it's a San Francisco West coast based brewery or coffee brewery. And we like it mostly because when we go, we'll usually spot a celebrity. We have a few celebrities that live in the neighborhood. And I think that's like like their favorite hangout. Carrie Russell, Matthew Reese, they're married actually, or maybe just have a child together, but they live in the neighborhood. They're usually there. Rose Byrne and her husband, gosh, um, Ethan Hawke. Like, I don't know why they all chose to live in this neighborhood, but I'm not moving. Because this is just too exciting for me to, I just, you know, so anyway, but the coffee's really good too. (laughs) (laughs) Bonus. Celebrities and coffee. Okay. Now when I donate, I like to give to blank because. Um, I, I get, I do give a lot of money to like the animal rescue because I've just always had a soft spot in my heart and I can't even step foot in like an animal shelter without just bawling. Mm. So, and anytime I see like the commercial with like the Sarah McLaughlin song, oh, no, no, yeah, know, I'm just like, just take my money. Just oh, it works every <laughs> time. Yeah, it works. So yeah, I mean, there are probably other causes I should be donating my money to. I also donate like to like local um, Los Angeles, like KCRW. And like we have a program called the Library Foundation. So, you know, just kind of local stuff that bring culture to the city. I like to donate to because I'm like, I just enjoy it for free usually. So I try to give whenever I can. That's awesome. All right. And finally, I'm Kristen Wong. I'm so money because... I am so money because I am open to the fact that there is enough money for all of us. Is that a good one? Or I like it. There is enough. I mean, money's I out know. there. I think that that really does say a lot about the fact that money is abundant, which I completely agree with, and that it's not worth your time living in this box, that believing that money is scarce, that you're only worthy of so much money, that you can only make so much money. So if you have any doubts, ladies and gentlemen, get Kristen's book. It's called 
get money, live the life you want, not just the life you can afford. Thank you for writing this so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. To learn more about Kristen, head over to kristenwong.com and her book is at thegetmoneybook.com. All this info is back at somoneypodcast.com where you can grab the transcript, the download the episode, and also leave me a question for the Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. Hope your day is so money. 